Thank you for listening to this sermon by Grace Point Church. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at gracepointaz.com, or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday morning. Good morning, church. Will you stand with me as we read through God's word? If you'd like to follow along with the reading and need a Bible, they can be found in the seatbacks in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, please take this one with you. Or if you know someone that needs a Bible, please take this one and give it to them. We'd love for you to have God's word in your hand throughout the week. Today's scripture will be taken from the book of Philippians, chapter one, verses one through two, and it can be found on page 980 in that Bible. Follow along with me as I read. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. God, we're uh, excited to jump into a new series. Uh, God, we pray for Tyler as he brings the message. Pray that we would just have ears to hear. Uh, just something that you have uh, just on our hearts this morning. Pray that you would just uh, be with our brother that's going uh, into surgery this morning. Just pray that you would be with the doctors and family and all involved. Pray for all these things. Amen. Amen. So today we're jumping in to Philippians and uh, Philippians has kind of been dubbed like the joy filled or it's the, the book of joy. And uh, through Philippians, we're gonna see how it is just dripping with joy throughout the entire book. And before we jump in to joy, I wanna talk about happiness and kind of tell you guys the difference between happiness and joy. Cause sometimes I know I'm prone to get those mixed up or switched around, um, but happiness, it really depends on what happens. It depends uh, about the circumstances in our life, whether things are good or bad is whether we're happy or unhappy typically. And joy, it, what, what joy is, is it depends on how grounded you are in the gospel. Joy is long-term happiness. It perseveres. And as we go through Philippians, we're gonna learn and see different principles of joy through Philippians. And I bet if I asked you guys, I'm not going to, but if I asked you guys to raise your hand and say, hey, raise your hand if you want to have joy in your life, I'm sure all you guys would probably raise your hand and say, hey, I wanna have joy. And what we're gonna learn throughout the next 10 weeks in Philippians is we're gonna learn these principles that Paul tells us in order to have joy in, through Philippians. And so uh, I heard this story one time about a boy that got asked this question. He got asked and, and the answer to his question tells about the joy he has in his heart from what Jesus has done. And so here's the question. It says, what difference has Jesus Christ made in your life? And this young boy, he answered and he said, well, I feel better now when I feel bad than I used to feel when I felt good. And so that's what joy does. When, when we're going through something that's not good, man, I feel better now because back then when things were good, when I was having awesome things in my life, but I wasn't saved, I still feel better now when things are going rough because we know about the grace that we have in Jesus. So when I heard this, man, I thought it was such a great view of joy and what it should look like in our lives. And it also made me think about this, about how Christians, if you're, if you're saved, then right now in this life, we are closer than we will ever be to hell. And if you're not saved today, then that is the closest that you will ever be to heaven unless you do get saved. And so I got thinking about it. And here in America, we are all about the pursuit of happiness. We just celebrated the fourth, which is all about the Declaration of Independence, right? So the Declaration of Independence says that we are guaranteed life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And Americans today, that is all we're after, it seems like. We're always after the next thing. We're trying to pursue happiness. And in 2018, there's this study that says only 31% of Americans said on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, and then year-to-year basis, 31% of them said they were happy. And then in 2021, as you can imagine, with COVID, it got even worse, where 14% of Americans said that they were happy. 
And today there is more than two thirds of Americans that claim to be unhappy in their lives. More than two thirds. And that's because real happiness, or should I say true joy, it's not found in the direct pursuit or the search for happiness. It's the byproduct from, pursu- from pursuing God's will, not pursuing happiness. It's from pursuing God's will for our lives and God's word. And so as long as we live trying to find happiness for ourselves, trying to um, selfishly look about, man, what is, it's about me, 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 I, 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 what makes me happy? It's not gonna happen. It's joy that we will find it. We'll find that joy in Jesus. And so the more you do as you please, the less that you're gonna be pleased with what you do. So we need to put our own desires to the side. We need to put our own wants and needs away and realize that the byproduct of serving God is joy. So let me tell you about this one time where I was happy. I was super happy. And this other time where my dreams end up getting crushed and I was super unhappy and kind of how I handled it. And um, so I finally had just convinced my girlfriend at the time, which is now my wife, Judy, I'd convinced her to let me join the military. I'd always wanted to join the military, thought it'd be super cool. We're in college together. And she's like, man, I, I really enjoy spending time with you. I don't want you to go anywhere. And I was like, yeah, I like, I like spending time with you too. Like that's why we're together, right? And so uh, anyways, her f- best friend ends up pulling her aside and said, hey, like the military life isn't bad. Like you get to travel, really good insurance. Like you got good benefits. So it's not, she ends up convincing her to let me join the military. And I don't know if you guys or if anyone in here is from a different uh, branch. I know a couple of y'all because I've seen y'all, but uh, thank goodness that I picked the Air Force. And the reason I picked the Air Force is because my family kept begging me. My dad, he was like, just join the Air Force. They're smart and they don't have to go like to war hand to hand or whatever, you know? So I ended up picking the smartest branch, no offense to y'all, but the smartest branch, the Air Force. And thank goodness I did. Thank goodness I did. But my family um, really wanted me to go into the Air Force. So I decided I'm going to go into the recruiter's office. And before I went in there, I did what every teenager or early 20 year old does. I Googled it. I said, best job in the Air Force, right? And it popped up air traffic control first thing. And I was like, boom, salary, six figures. That's the job for me. That's what I'm picking. And so I had my eyes set on being an air traffic controller. And uh, I worked in a pawn shop at the time and there was this guy there and he, had t- he was an army guy and he was like, hey, like when you go to the recruiter's office, like you gotta make sure you don't let them jerk you around and tell you, hey, go in open general, do this. Like they'll end up making you make food and work on planes if you don't like maintenance, it's just not a good deal. And so I went into that recruiter's office and I said, look, I wanna join the military, I'm gonna join the Air Force and I'm gonna be an air traffic controller. Probably a little too uh, cocky, like a little too uh, chip on my shoulder. I needed to have some humility, right? And so uh, he goes, well, that's not gonna happen. And I was like, well, we'll see. And he's like, well, you gotta take this ASVAB test. So I did, I ended up just barely making it to where I could be an air traffic controller and he tries to pull me in to be security forces, which is like the cops, which is like the door knocking, which sounded fun and everything and I said, yeah, let's do that. And so I go to MEPS and they disqualify me because of my debt perception. Like, hey, you don't qualify for it. And I was like, well, air traffic it is. And so I said, look, I'm doing air traffic. That's it. No other options. And he's like, ah, like there's no positions open. So let's, let's put you open general. And I was like, nope. I was like, you call me when there's a position open and then I'll join the air force. And so luckily, sure enough, four or five months later, he ends up calling me and he's like, hey, by the way, I've got you that air traffic control job. You're leaving in a few weeks. And I was like, well, sweet. I get married in a few weeks. So like, where's this timeline going to line up? And uh, I got married a couple weeks later. I went to basic training for the Air Force. And I was so happy that I got to join the military, got to serve the country. I was so pumped for it. And, uh, and that was a time that I was thrilled in my life. I was happy. 
my emotions were happy. So uh, I go to basic training and then I find out that this air traffic control school has a 50% washout rate. And I start thinking like, well, like golly, 50%, like surely I'm better than 50% of the people. I can make it right. And there's that chip that had to get knocked down a little bit. But uh, I, I go to tech school and I pass. Like I, I didn't have any issues. And then I'm six months into the military and I get this. If you guys were here last week, I had to hear about how I got Luke Air Force Base. And uh, man, I did not want to come to Luke. I did not want to come to Arizona. It was so hot and uh, I was trying to get to Idaho, but I ended up coming to Luke Air Force Base. And while I was in tech school, I learned that it's another 50% washout rate when I get here. So really only a quarter of the people that go to air traffic control school really make it through for it to be their career. And so I was like, golly, and I feel like the odds are against me now. And so I ended up going and I struggled in training for the next year and a half to two years. And sure enough, I was in live. I was talking to some F-16 pilots, some F-35 pilots, Phoenix airliners going over, Scottsdale uh, airport, Buckeye, like all these airplanes are going. It's really busy, chaotic. And I lost the picture on the radar. And I ended up telling this F-16 to turn this way, F-35 to turn this way. And I climbed him up to where the F-35 was. And, uh, and it was going to be a bad deal. But I was, they were 10 miles apart and I realized I made a mistake. And I said, hey, expedite your descent, expedite your, your climb. And they separated and I had clear separation, no issues. It was, it was an issue initially, but I fixed it before it became an issue. And the chief controller saw it and he kicked me out with a lot of, you know, really colorful words. And so I got kicked out and I was like, dang. And I was crushed. This was the time I was crushed. I had my eyes sighted on that career. I knew I was going to be an air traffic controller one day, making good money, providing for my family. And it just got crushed. It got knocked down. He kicked me out and he said, look, either find a job or get out of the air force. And at the time I had just had a kid. My son was like two months old. Like I just came back from baby leave and this happens. And there was just, there was no grace there. And so uh, luckily I ended up staying in the air force and I was able to provide for my family. But that whole time, I didn't know if they were going to kick me out. I didn't know if they were going to keep me. I didn't know anything. And I just pressed into you guys. I pressed into the church here. I pressed into God. And that is where I got the joy to be able to push through it. And that was the one time where I remembered and I said, God's got a plan, even though I don't know the plan. And I had joy through that time, even though it was a tough time where my dreams got crushed. And so I want that for you guys. I want the joy in your life to really reflect about, it doesn't matter how your situation is, how your circumstances are, whether you lose a job or whether you don't get the promotion and the other guy who's not a Christian did. Whatever it is, I want to be able to, um, I want you guys to find the principles in Philippians with me over the next 10 weeks as we talk about where to have joy, how to have joy. And so in verse one, it starts off like this. I'm just going to read the first three words. It says, Paul and Timothy, and then we're going to stop there for a second. So I don't know if you guys, like I said, if you guys like history, but uh, if you guys aren't history buffs, if you don't like history, just bear with me. Try to like you know, pin your eyelids open or something because we're going to jump into some dates and we're going to jump into some history here. But Paul ends up being the author of Philippians and multiple other books in the New Testament. And Timothy ends up being his buddy, much like, you know, Batman and Robin for Jesus, that type of deal. Just kidding. That was a bad joke. Um, so, so anyways, as we jump into history, let's talk about Jesus. Jesus was crucified in 33 AD. And then shortly after that, this guy by the name of Stephen, he gets, uh, he gets stoned to death by these Pharisee leaders and ends up Saul, who ends up changing to Paul. He's the one that wrote Philippians. Saul ends up casting the first stone to kill Stephen and the rest of these, uh, the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Pharisees end up finishing him off, finish stoning him. And so Saul ends up the next year, 34 AD, around that time frame, on the way to Damascus. And this is where God ends up revealing himself to him. See, Saul was going city to city, town to town as a terrorist, killing Christians, 
killing people that didn't agree with him and that believed in Jesus as the Messiah. And so Saul's not a good dude. He's a really bad dude. God knocks him off the horse and says, look, dude, why are you persecuting those that follow me? Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so now, as soon as all this happens, Saul is blinded immediately. And then his, his guys that are with them have to basically help him. I don't know if they like carried him or whatever, but they helped him to Damascus because he couldn't see. He was blinded. And at this time, God is talking to this guy, Ananias, and says, Ananias, this guy named Saul's coming. I want you to go talk to him when he gets to town. And Ananias is like, no. It's like, I'm not going. That dude kills people. I know who Saul is. Like, I don't know if this is like a test, but I don't want to fail and I don't want to pass. I just want to stay where I'm at. And so what happens is Ananias and God ends up saying, look, Ananias, I'm going to use him as a tool to build churches across the world. The gospel is going to get out through this guy. I need you to go find him and heal his vision and he will believe. And so he does. Ananias goes and he touches Saul and Saul, it says that scales fell off his eyes or something like scales fell off his eyes and he could see again and he believed. He believed. And so from that time, Saul wanted to dive in. He's like, man, I've got to learn more about Jesus. I got to learn more about the scriptures, everything I've been against. Now I need to learn. And so for the next few years, he's in Arabia learning about the scriptures and he goes uh, back and forth from Jerusalem to his hometown in Tarsus. And while he's in Tarsus one day, this guy named Barnabas decides he's going to jump over to Tarsus or, you know, walk over to Tarsus with his camel or whatever. And he's like, hey, Paul, well, at the time it's Saul still. And he's like, hey, Saul, like, I think that I'm supposed to be here and we're supposed to go plant churches together. Like, let's come together and let's go tell people about Jesus. And so this happens in about 45 uh, to 47 AD, they end up going to Antioch. And in Antioch, that is where Saul's name gets switched to Paul. So Paul, it gets switched over to Paul and they decide, hey, we're gonna start our first missionary journey. And so Saul ends up doing, now Paul ends up doing three missionary journeys around the Southern border of Turkey, the Southern area of Turkey. And so he ends up going and helping establish churches like the church of Ephesus, the church of Corinth, the church of Philippi, which is what we're gonna talk about, the Philippian church. And he ends up going to this place, this little town called Lystra. And in Lystra, he picks up this guy by the name of Timothy. You remember his, his Robin to his Batman, right, for Jesus? Uh, so he picks up Timothy in around 50 AD, and he joins him. Timothy joins him on his second missionary mission um, and journey. And so Paul ends up becoming a mentor to Timothy. Timothy is asking to go with them. And in fact, before um, Timothy believed, Paul had just got to Lystra, and it says that his family was divided. His mom was a Jew. His dad was a Greek. So it was a divided family. But then it says that Timothy, his mom, and his grandma end up becoming saved. They come and, and they believe in God. And so Timothy asks, hey, can I come with you, Saul? Can you, can you teach me? Can you teach me? And Saul does. He takes him under his wing. And it even says that Paul ends up calling Timothy his son in the faith at some point. Man, they have this strong relationship, this strong bond. In fact, uh, Paul starts letters, six different letters in the New Testament, six different books of the Bible, was saying, hey, Paul and Timothy. Paul's the author, but he said Paul and Timothy. He had that humility to say it was both of them that were approaching, both of them that were coming and writing these letters to them. So we're gonna jump into Acts 16, and we're gonna talk about um, where Paul was and how Paul got into the Roman prison in 62 AD, where he was writing this letter to the Philippian church. So uh, Paul ends up getting roadblocked. He wants to go to Asia, Asia Minor. He wants to go tell these other areas of the world about God. And it says in the Bible, for some reason, we don't know why, but the Holy Spirit had forbid him to go to those places at the time. And so Paul's stuck. He's like, man, I don't know where to go. Every time I try to go somewhere, I get blocked. So I can't go. And so he ends up going to this place called Troas. And he's hanging out in Troas where he falls asleep and he has a vision from this guy in Macedonia. 
And this guy in Macedonia is like, hey, I want you to come to Macedonia and come tell us about Jesus. Come tell us about Jesus. So that's where he goes. He goes into Macedonia. In the inner area of Macedonia, there's this little city, this little town called Philippi. And so he goes into Philippi and on the Sabbath day, he decides he's gonna go to the riverside and go tell some people the gospel. And there he sees this group of women they're talking and he tells them the gospel. He preaches to them. And one of the women named Lydia ends up getting saved and believes in him. And Lydia was this rich woman who uh, she sold purple goods is what it says in the Bible. Purple goods, like uh, purple was a sign of royalty back then. So maybe it was clothing. Uh, maybe it was uh, it, whatever it was. It was purple goods. She had a lot of um, really expensive stuff. And so therefore she, when she sold that stuff, she made a lot of good money. And I say all that to say, she ends up taking Paul and his whole group, which Timothy isn't with them at the time. So it's Paul and Silas and some other guys to her house and says, hey, you guys can stay here. And they start planning a church out of her house. And so Lydia um, ends up getting baptized when she takes them back. And then another Sabbath day comes and you know they're still there, they're preaching. And this slave girl starts following Paul and the other guys around. And she uh, is de uh, demon possessed. She has a demon in her that allows her to tell people's fortune, tell their future. And so her masters would make money off of her going and telling people's fortunes. And so she ends up following Saul or, or Paul around and is like, hey, guess what? Uh, this guy right here, and she'd start telling the town, whatever city or little location he's going to, this guy, he follows Jesus Christ. And so she's, she's I don't know if it's mocking. It doesn't say if she's mocking him or not, but she's telling truths. And uh, how many of y'all know, like, we don't need, God doesn't need a demon to do and tell his truth. There was some like hidden meaning behind it. So God ends up saying, okay, you know what? Like tell her to get that demon out of her or tell that demon to get out of her. So, so Paul does, he says, Hey, I command you to get out of this slave girl. And the demon left. Well, that was the masters. That was her master's uh, way to make money. So the demon leaves and now she can't tell people's fortune anymore. And so the masters are angry and they decide they're going to take Paul and they're going to take Silas and take him to the middle, the center of the marketplace, and they're going to start beating them. And they get everybody there to jump in. So they all have rods. They start beating the tar off of these guys and then they throw them in jail. So they throw them in jail. Like, you know, if, if it's not worse getting beat up, now they're in jail. And I don't know about you guys. I don't know much about jail. I've never been to jail, um, but I do know this about jail. When I was in the Air Force, I had uh, every, every time we had a holiday weekend, it was like Memorial Day or 4th of July or whatever. There was always these safety briefs because for some reason, military members are like, hey, it's like a three-day weekend. Let's party, get drunk, and let's go driving around while we're drunk. Not smart. So they're over here getting DUIs and they started implementing these safety briefs. And I had one of my supervisors end up having a safety brief, brief like this. And I'm going to say exactly what he said. He said, okay, I'm giving y'all this weekend's safety brief. And he said, here it is. Don't add to the population. Don't subtract from the population. Don't drink and drive. Stay out of the hospitals. Stay out of the newspapers. And above all else, stay out of jail. But if you find yourself in jail, make sure you establish dominance quickly. And that is what I remembered. That's what stuck with me. So I, I, I imagine if I am Paul and Silas, like right now, if someone was to take me away in jail, that's the first thought I'm going to have established dominance quickly. Like I would jump in and be like, oh, I'm, I'm the man here. Let me kick someone's you know, butt or whatever, right? So uh, anyways, thank goodness. That's not what Paul and Silas did. Now, sure, God could have used that if that's what they decided to do, but they instead start praising and they start singing to God and they're thanking God for all the joy that they have for his mercy that he has on them. And so what ends up happening, God sends this earthquake in to shatter the walls of this prison and shatter the shackles off of their hands, off their feet, and they get freed, but yet they stay. 
the jailer, see, he gets knocked out. The police officer, he gets knocked out during this time and he wakes up and he grabs his sword out and he's about to kill himself because he thought everyone just escaped. Everyone just got away. I'm gonna, I'm gonna die this horrible death. And he's about to kill himself and Paul yells out and he goes, no, stop, don't kill yourself. And the jailer's like, what? Like, why are you guys not gone? Why are you here? And then right there, Paul tells him the gospel. He preaches to him and he believes in Jesus Christ. So the jailer's like, all right, like, let's go to my house. Let's have dinner. Let's party. Come meet my family. So Paul goes over and he preaches to his family and this jailer, this police officer's whole house gets saved and Paul baptizes them. And then after that, they have dinner. The next day, the jailer's like, hey, we got to go. Like, I don't want you guys to get killed. And if you guys get caught again, I'm going to get killed. You're going to get killed. Everybody's going to get killed. Ain't going to be good. So let's get out of here. So they get out of there and they escape. Well, Paul is kind of stubborn and he, I don't know if you guys know anything about Paul or if you guys have read much about it, but like every city Paul goes to, it seems that he gets arrested. Like Paul, people do not want to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Paul gets arrested and arrested and arrested. So he decided, oh, I'm just going to go to Jerusalem and tell them about Jesus. And they didn't want to hear nothing about it. So he ends up going to Jerusalem and he gets falsely accused and he gets arrested again. So Saul, Paul, I keep saying Saul, but now he's Paul. He ends up going uh, to Jerusalem, gets arrested. And then for the next two years, he spends it there in Sisera and he's getting this ring around. I don't know if you guys have ever been on the phone where you get the ring around. They're like, oh yeah, let me transfer you over to this person. And then you get transferred over to that person and they're like, oh, that's the wrong department. Let me transfer you over to this person. And then you talk to the same person that transferred you like 15 minutes ago and you're like, oh my gosh. So then they transfer you again and then they hang up on you and you're like, man, this, this stinks. I don't know about y'all. That happens to me all the time with the VA. So that's what they're always doing, right? But Paul, he's the guy that says, no, I'm hanging up this time. They're ringing him around. They're like, let's go trial to trial. And Paul goes, nope, I'm done. I appeal to Caesar. So then they all hop on a ship. They take him on this military ship to Rome to go appeal to Caesar. And on the way there, the ship wrecks, long story short, he ends up making it there. He survived the shipwreck, makes it to Rome, and he's in prison at Rome, which is what we're going to talk about today. He starts writing the letter of Philippi to Philippi in 62 AD. So let's jump into first one. That's the history. I know some of you guys are history buffs. Some of y'all might not be, but we needed to know that for the foundation of the next 10 weeks on where Paul's mindset was when he was writing this letter. So verse one, it says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. And an interesting fact about Paul, like I said earlier, is he writes each book or he writes six of the different books that he wrote saying Paul and Timothy. He comes at a humility type attitude. He's humble. He's humble. And so he even writes in a humble way saying, hey, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ writing to the saints. And a saints is just a fancy word for a Christian, a Christian today that is alive. Now, if we jump to and we look at, uh, we look at in like Webster's Dictionary, what it says a saint is, is it says a saint is a person acknowledged as holy, which is important. And it said, typically regarded as being in heaven after death. See, this is taken from the Catholic view, from Catholicism on what a saint is. Someone who was holy and then they died and now they're in heaven. But we see the biblical meaning of this. It, that's not true. The biblical meaning is it says in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul and Timothy write this letter addressing it to who? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. And so he's lowering himself saying, hey, I'm a servant. I'm writing to you saints because he wants the Philippian church. He wants them to lower themselves. He wants them to be servants like Jesus was a servant. He wants them to be servants like he is being a servant and to serve well. 
And so we see in verse one, he says to all the saints, and then I want us to focus in on in Christ, in Christ. That is so unique. In the New Testament, we see in Christ or in Christ Jesus. We see that 92 different times. And it's so unique because of this. You're never gonna hear a Buddhist say, I am in Buddha. You're never gonna hear a Muslim say, I am in Muhammad or a Mormon say, I am in Joseph Smith. But you'll find a Christian like Paul saying, I am in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ Jesus. And with that in Christ Jesus, that is a unity that we are. We have a unity with Christ. Our life is united to his. And in John 17, 21, it says this, and this is Jesus praying. And he says that they, meaning Christians, may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See, it's much like a marriage. It's similar to a marriage, how two become one flesh. You're united together. I'm not saying we're married to Jesus. Don't twist that around because some churches believe that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But um, what it is, is our lives are being united to him. What we're seeing is our lives are united through the Holy Spirit. Paul writes 104 verses to the church of Philippi. And what do they do with what he writes? They read it, but they didn't just read it. They went and they went to go live it out. And they didn't just live it out. Then they went and they spread, the, they spread this letter out to all the other churches, all the other congregations, and then all the other Christians. And it finally reaches us. So they went and they told the world about what Paul said because they believed the scriptures that Paul wrote were directly from God because they were. And so as Christians, we need to believe the scriptures. And if you believe the scriptures, then your life will be changed. Your life will be bent towards what God is calling us to do, to go be on mission, tell other people about him. See, it's not gonna be easy. Sometimes you're gonna get nervous. Sometimes you're gonna be freaking out, not have the right words to say. You're really gonna be like, ah, I don't know what to do. And sometimes we're gonna experience persecution. And what I find it so interesting is that Christians today, we, we experience more persecution than any other religion. So I, I was in the military, right? And I walked in one time into my squadron and all of a sudden everyone stood up. And this was years ago. I just became a pastor three, four months ago, back in March. So I, I just got ordained and I was not ordained at the time. And I walk in and they say, oh, Pastor Tooley, Father Tooley, good morning. And so they would mock me and they would start calling me Father Tooley, Pastor Tools, all this stuff around, hey, I need your help, Father Tools. And you know, it was, it was an ongoing joke. And that was like a little form of you know, persecution, I guess. But that was very mild compared to what we see Paul and Peter and even what Jesus goes through on the cross. And so I say all that because I had people in that squadron who were Wiccan, who were Buddhist, who were Muslim, Mormon. And the thing is, is the freedom of religion is true in this country, but the persecution seems to always happen to the Christian. And why do you guys think that is? It's because the enemy is not gonna go out and fight against somebody or a religion that's not true. And I don't even like that word religion. It's a relationship that we have as Christians with Jesus, right? So of course the enemy is gonna come against Christians because God is real. Jesus Christ is real. He's telling, um, we see what, what God tells us in Matthew 28. He says this, this is the missionary mandate. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He's telling us to go tell people. We should go into the workplace. 
I didn't hide it in my workplace. They knew that I was a youth guy. They knew I was heavily involved in church. And I know what the culture says. Culture says, hey, you can't bring religion into church or religion into work. Of course you can bring church in, anyways. So, uh, so Matthew 28, God's saying, hey, go and tell people about me. And that's hard, but that is what we should do. And I'm not saying go and shout it from the rooftops and go get in trouble, but build relationships with people and then ask them if they believe in Jesus, invite them to church. We shouldn't keep that separate because our works are part of our life, what you do. And so let's jump into Philippians. Uh, I'm just gonna read both of the verses that we're going through today real quick. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, which is like a, an elder or a pastor of a church and the deacons. And uh, here at Grace Point, the deacons, kind of the, the functional way that we have deacons, we don't really have deacons, we don't call them deacons, but it's our staff members or the ministry leaders, um, kids ministry, youth ministry, the welcome team, um, stuff like that. And then it says, uh, it says, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, as Christians, we are saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi or in Surprise or in Buckeye or in Sun City, wherever you are, we are saints, we are Christians in Christ. And that word saint, what that means is it means holy. It means the most holy one or the most holy thing. And I know what you're thinking, well, I don't feel holy. And your, your spouse is probably beside you like, yeah, they ain't holy. They done messed up on the way here. But Jesus, but God sees us as holy. And the reason God sees us that way is because you are in Christ Jesus. And God sees us through this bloodstained lens. And when he looks through that bloodstained lens, you know who he sees? He sees Jesus in our place. Jesus who went in our place for our sin. He sees you in Christ. And when you get down to it, there's two types of people in this world. There's Christians and there's non-Christians. And I hope today that you are a Christian. And if you aren't, man, God's knocking. He's waiting for you to accept the invitation. That's why you're here today. He's knocking on that door to your heart and he wants you to open it up to him. He wants you to believe. And just like we saw today, looking through Paul's life, how a rich woman gets saved, a possessed slave girl, a suicidal jailer and his whole family gets saved. God is pursuing and saving people. And he's looking for you if you are unsaved, if you're not a believer. And one of the most profound things that I heard, which is so simple, but when it hit me, it hit me so hard. It was God can save anyone. So we should go out and tell everyone. God can save anybody. So why not tell everybody? Why not go tell everyone the good news? Why don't we tell the good news from our own testimony, our own story? Go tell them the gospel about how Jesus died for them. Invite them to church. And if you're a believer, a saint, we need to have a passion and a drive to tell others who aren't or tell others who ain't since I'm trying to wrap, just kidding. So uh, God sent his only son to come to this earth and live this perfect life, only to be looked at as one of the worst criminals and shouted, release Barabbas, release Barabbas, crucified Jesus is what the crowd shouted. Take him away. So that, that is what happened. He ends up getting tortured and experienced one of the most crucial, brutal deaths that anyone can experience. In fact, I looked it up this week. Um, being crucified is in the top 10 ever ever ways to die on pain, on just excruciating pain. And so I think it came in as number four or number six, but Jesus went and he did that. He died for us, this horrible death. And he, and in fact, crucifixion got abolished 
a couple hundred years after that happened to Jesus because they're like, this is so bad. It's so painful. So they abolished it. That's how bad it was. And then three days later, the best news ever came. Jesus rose out of the grave. He came out of that grave and he said, death can't hold me down because guess what? He said, he prophesied that, this, that Satan, the devil, was gonna bruise his heel and that one day he was gonna crush this, the devil's skull, crush Satan's skull and send him to hell forever. And that's what he did. And if you are not a believer, that's what you can be a part of. You can be a part of Christians in Christ. And I just wanna invite that to you today. And if you're not, I want you guys to know and be on mission for God's kingdom. He can use us and he can use you. Um, God used... He used Paul who was killing his people. Man, if he used Paul to save thousands, man, he can use you to save your neighbor, to save someone at church. Let's pray.